Welcome to the New Abbey Podcast. We are a Jesus community telling the biggest story of God in Los Angeles in 2020. We're excited that you're joining the conversation with us today. Enjoy. Uh, today, we get a really fun opportunity um, to hear from, actually, we're going to do this together. Come on, Frankie. Come on, Miho. Let's go. Let's get up here. Uh, oh, look at you. Oh, you're so precious. I love it. You know, it just warmed my heart. Uh, I love Frankie a lot. I'm so grateful for who he is. He is just an absolute glue to our community uh, to making things happen and getting things connected. Uh, so today we get the chance to give a little sermon together to preach it, to bring the heat, you know? Yeah, he could, he could literally speak in tongues at any moment, people. So get your spiritual tongues dictionary out and ready. <laughs> For some of you on Tinder, that means something different, but whatever. Here we go. Uh, so let's start us off. We got a question to get going. Let's go. All right. What's the part of you you wish everyone would see? Enjoy. Uh, we've been in this series in the Psalms because the Psalms provide this beautiful opportunity for a diversity of voices. That throughout each of the Psalms, we hear different ideas about who God is and what humanity is. And within each of us, there's this complexity and this myriad and multitude of voices and emotions and feelings. And for so many of us in the world of church, we were taught that we're only allowed to have certain feelings or certain ideas. And that when we read the scriptures, we somehow sanitize them or we clean them up in a way to make them fit a perfect ideal or what we think we're supposed to be or ought to be or who God is supposed to be. And what's refreshing is that when we go back to the Bible, when we actually look at what the stories are, that they're messy and they're complex and they have all these different ideas um, about who God is and what it means to be human. And the Psalms is art, it's poetry, it's music. It speaks to the gray of what it means to be human, that some of the Psalms declare the glory and the goodness and the beauty of God and that God is always going to show up for you and be there in your greatest times of trouble. It speaks to the reality of that we've got this as human beings that we're gonna overcome. And then there's other Psalms that literally say, God, why do you rule the world in such a way? I don't feel like you're doing a very good job. Or there's words of lament saying, God, I'm angry at you. Or even words of frustration about other human beings that I so hate my enemies. I know we would never feel that way in an election cycle. That we would want to take even their children and smash their heads against the rocks is everybody's favorite life verse to read in the morning. And so the complexity of these stories are helpful for us. And what we've been doing over the last few weeks is that we've been seeing different people within our community and different um, pastors within our community to offer a different perspective about the Psalms and how they see these stories and how they apply to their own lives because we all need one another. Maybe actually as we're two weeks away from an election, as we have real enemies we perceive in this world that we need more compassion more grace, more gentleness, a deeper reality that God sees even them in the blue or red state or whatever your thing is 
as human being as well. Maybe there's an opportunity for us all to grow and to mature. So today, we're going to talk about surrender and maturity and how they go together. And to do that, we're going to talk about God's part and our part. And Frankie and I are going to do a little bit of this magic together. And we're going to look at Psalm 139. But to do that, we've got to talk about some things. So we're going to talk about my octopus teacher, everybody's favorite on Netflix right now. Anybody? Anybody? Just me. Okay. It's, uh, <laughs> it's also an empty room, so I don't know what you people are watching. Uh, God's part, then how can we be seen and known? And if we can be seen and known, looking at this kind of second piece to the New Abbey mission statement, uh, that we want to be a people who live into celebration and healing and transformation and maturity. And if we can understand those things well, what's our part in the world? And then Frankie being the good charismatic that he is, is going to talk about some blame and some shame, my brothers and sisters, the inner me versus my inner me, and then some personal power, brunch and chulos, if you don't know them, follow their Instagram account, and then we'll end with a little bit of surrender and some breath, and so we're going to read together Psalm 139 to prepare ourselves and think about this morning. Psalm 139 goes like this, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know me when I sit. And when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light will become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. And when I awake, I am still with you. If only you, God, would slay the wicked. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And all God's people said, amen. amen. My octopus teacher, you see where we're going there. <laughs> if you haven't seen this Netflix show, it's kind of fascinating. There's this man who's basically like a National Geographic documentarian, and he's living in this place of burnout in his life. 
And something that he's done is he's traveled the world as he was eventually in Africa with like Maasai warriors and they were these great people who could track herds all throughout Africa. And he learned a lesson for them when he was going through this great moment of anxiety and depression. What he decided to eventually do is to go back to his hometown in South Africa where he would go out every day into the ocean, into the cold Atlantic waters, and there he would swim and he began to renew and find himself. And eventually, as he was off the coast of his home in South Africa, he came to this kelp forest where the waters on South Africa are incredibly turbulent. And in this little area of this kelp forest, as the forest is so old and so powerful there, that somewhere in the middle, there's this little 200-foot area where the waters are calm. And he would begin to go back to the same place day after day until one day he met an octopus. And there, as he met an octopus, he began to realize some things. The intelligence of this creature, the strategy of this creature, the thought, potentially even the emotions and feelings of what this living being has within itself. And then he began to take the lessons that he learned from the Maasai warriors that he began to say, what would it look like if I came back to this spot day after day after day, literally never missing a day, to observe this little area of 200 feet within this kelp forest? What if I paid such close and careful attention to what was going on here? Could I see the movement of the kelp? Would I see the changing of shells? Would I see how the animals that just live in this very particular place in the ocean interact with one another, the relationships that I have to each other? Would I be able to fully see the ecosystem and the complexity of what is going on just right here. And as he did that, he built this relationship with an octopus, I know. <laughs> and over this time, what he realized is that this octopus, this creature, which is not like a, a dog or these other kind of cuddly animals that love human beings, eventually began to trust him. That the octopus would come to him, would lay on his arm, would eventually come and lay on his chest, that this octopus would know him. There was an intimacy, and honestly, it's kind of weird. But it was beautiful observing this consistency of this man just going to the same place, seeing all of the details and the complexity of what was going on here, and getting to know and be known by an octopus of all things. And as you watch it, and you get kind of mesmerized by this documentary, eventually the octopus will die. Spoiler alert, Dumbledore dies, book six. I don't know what to tell you. Also in this, the octopus will finally die and will eventually procreate. And he is just a part of the, the life cycle of everything and just observing and watching and seeing and knowing. And after watching this, I had this like spiritual moment of, what if this is God? into each of our lives? What if God knows the little 200-foot area of the world that we occupy? What if God knows all the little details and intricacies and complexities within each and every one of us? What if God knows how the tides come in and out, all of the ecosystem that makes up who we are? What if God is constantly observing, delights in observing, enjoys knowing all of the things that are within us and outside of us, the things that we can control and the things that we can't control at all? What if God is there being satisfied in every moment of who we are and what we do? What if God comes back day after day after day, whether it's rough waters or calm waters, because God's God so loves us and enjoys intimacy with us. 
that if this man can observe an octopus for a year, what is it like for the divine, for the one that breathed all of his existence into creation? How does this God see all seven plus billion human beings and know all of the ways that we interact with one another? And it was this moment of realizing, that's what I believe about God. I do believe that there's this God who so sees me, who knows me, that there's been so many seasons of my life that I've wanted to be seen, that I've wanted to be known, that I've wanted to surrender to who God is, that I long for something bigger than myself and my abilities and my capabilities and my strengths and my strategy and all the things that Corey can control. What if there's days that I'm just exhausted and I want to go float up onto this God's chest like that octopus, weird analogy I know, but maybe I need to rest. Maybe it took me time to see that this God was constantly showing up into my ecosystem to say, I actually trust you. Not just believe in you from all of the things that the people told me I had to believe in when I was a little kid, because if I didn't, then I might burn in hell one day. Weird story, by the way, that we told five-year-olds. But what if this God is so intimate that this God can be trusted? I can trust this God so much that I could even surrender to this God, that I could be vulnerable, that I could offer myself, that I could follow in a different way. And as we think about this idea of surrender leading towards maturity, I realize that within it, the only way that I can actually surrender to God is if I actually trust who God is. Do I want this God to see and know all aspects of my life? Do I trust that this God sees it and is not judging me and waiting to send me to some fiery eternal pit if I said the wrong word and missed the rapture or whatever weird things that I used to believe in? Or do I have a God that suffers with me, is there with me, so wanted to be with me, would step into this ecosystem to become human, to show up with me, that this God would say, I'm going to a cross not because I need some blood oath to be satisfied because I've been angry for thousands of years because of belly buttonless people in a garden. Maybe this God is saying, no, I wanted to be human like you so that you would know that I I can be as intimate as anything, that I know what your life is like, that I too would suffer and die because you will suffer and die, and that I can show you a path of what it means to be human, that you could actually be free and experience life in a deeper way. If I believe that about God, how now can I surrender? And if I can surrender, how now can I actually follow who this God is? And So much of what we believe about New Abbey is that there's this reality of what's God's part and what's our part, that God has a part, that so much of deconstruction and progressivism and liberalism is that we've become angry at some things or frustrated at some things, and sometimes we throw the baby out with the bathwater, and sometimes there's even good parts of God that we throw out because we're so much smarter now or know some things, or we're just so trying to reject the bad theology that we had over there. But my hope is not that we throw a bunch of things away, but rather that we would reconstruct, build up, take on some new things, be reminded of some old things that have always been true. That what if there's a God that is there, that has always been there, that was not in that bad theology, but a God who is constantly showing up to see the intricacies and the details and the complexities of our lives, and this God is not scared. 
And this God welcomes all of us, every last component from our cellular level to the complexities of our emotions, to our habits, to our actions. This God is not judging that, but this God is inviting us to mature, to grow as human beings. And if we could be so celebrated by who God is, if we could be so seen by God, if we could be so known by God, how would that eventually allow us to follow God in a different way? And the mission of New Abbey is, we say, a Jesus community telling the biggest story of God in Los Angeles. It's within an actual time and place in history. But as you hear a bigger story of who God is, as you hear a good news that is actually good about a God who calls every single human being God's child, about a God who says, I love you and I enjoy you. There's nothing that we do or don't do. There's no caveats. It's not one of these stories that all are welcome here, wink, wink, but we could never marry you. It's not that. It's really a story of complete freedom that when we live into that biggest story possible that holds science and evolution and change and thought and emotions and psychology and spirituality and theology all together, then would we learn that we're celebrated and that we're just simply celebrated because we're human and made in this God's image. And if we can learn that we're celebrated, how could that bring new healing in our lives? How could we say, oh, God wants to work here or this has always been beautiful with within me. And if we can be celebrated and eventually healed, then it would think we experience some level of transformation within ourselves. And the goal always is this, that after you have been celebrated and healed and transformed, would you eventually have enough maturity to go bring other people into this journey as well? It's hard to give what you don't have. If you've been hurt, you tend to hurt people. If you've been transformed, you tend to transform people. As you're celebrated, we hope that you have the capacity to celebrate others. Even one day that you could celebrate your enemy. Even if they have no ideals, no values like you, could you say, but even in that human being, and we all got some names, that God sees them made in God's image. That that's God's child. That God enjoys them. And what would that mean for us in the way that we participate in the world? As we're transformed and healed into that greater reality, then how could we go out into our lives and mature and bring other people into this healing? As the great prophetess once said, Brene Brown, your healing is dependent upon my healing and my healing is dependent upon yours and our healing dependent upon the healing of the world. That's the work that we do together in maturity. First, we need to be seen and known by God. And then we move into a place of surrender. And then we must choose what maturity is. And so I'm so excited that Frankie gets to share this next piece because it's been beautiful to see your journey as you first came to New Abbey, as you got to be yourself, to be celebrated, to find healing, to be transformed, and that you have somebody who's, you love Jesus, by the way. You just love Jesus. That's real. It's palpable. It's tangible in who you are. That there was ever a place in your life where somebody said, you don't get to love Jesus enough, Frankie, because you love men or want a relationship with a man was completely appalling to me because all of this beauty and joy was already within you and you just needed to hear a story of God that says, of course I know that about you, Frankie. Because the thing that's within who Frankie is, is he's a pastor. 
And he wants to care and shepherd others so that they would know that good news, so that their lives could be changed as well. And so bring us home with a little maturity, my friend. Mature. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you, Corey. I, I love this community so much. Um, and it means so much to me to be here today in this now moment that exists. So yes, maturity. Uh, yes and amen to everything that Corey said that we need to trust God and trust ourselves and to sit with the good and to celebrate that because that allows us to not only look at the good in the mirror, but also to look in the mirror and see the things that we don't see as good, that it's our responsibility, that it's no one else's job, it's no one else's uh, choice, that God encourages us in that but doesn't force us, that it's our job to be that parent that we needed where our loved ones or guardians or whoever raised us fell a little short, or I like to say, fell a little human, where the humanity came in, where their trauma or their pain came to the surface, and we experienced lack. And it's our job to care for that, to show up for that. That's our responsibility to sit with those emotions and to give attention to them and to identify them, to identify the occurrences or events and to be in charge of what those mean and what we make those mean about us and how we choose to move forward. And the gift of maturity is that we can actually have the things that we want because we're a container of that. We can keep it. We can only just go after it, but we can keep it because we've shown up for ourselves. We sat with the good and the not so good, that we grew trust for ourselves and trust in God so that when moments of unworthiness or not enoughness or trying to sabotage come up, we now know how to respond and we can go after that to the fullness of what that is. And one of the biggest moments in my life of an invitation to maturity is when I was part of this charismatic church for like five plus years. And there's so much there that I resonated with. There was just hours of worship and I'm on the floor crying and bowing down. I sat in the front row with all the old church ladies, all these Latino women. And they would. there was this woman named Roberta, if you're watching this, shout out to you, Roberta. And she would just march back and forth and say, praise the lamb, what is the lamb? Praise the lamb, praise be to the lamb. And I'd be like, yes, Roberta. And <laughs> there was just so much in that that I was like, yes, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. And then I got to lead and preach and teach and care for people, the things that I love to do the most. And then I got to be in Sunday school with the little middle schoolers. That gave me some attitude, but it was all good because we still had some fun to being a, a summer camp counselor, to traveling to other countries and really being immersed in this community and somehow reconnecting with family I didn't talk to for like 15 years. And I was like, Lord, what? And that also being part of it. And it was so good. And there's so many things that I loved about that. And in the same breath and at the same time, time after time, after time again, that I was called into the pastor's office to talk about the thing, to talk about the struggle, to talk about how the devil perverted my sexuality. And if I would choose to act on this thing, that it would be living in sin and I couldn't be trusted spiritually. And I would be, all these ministries that I love to do and all the things that I love to do would be taken from me. So if I would say yes to these ministries, which I did, that it would be at the cost of saying no to myself. And there's moments in that if even <laughs> people coming up to me 
we'd be like, I remember um, this guy that I served with, <laughs> he goes, implying that this would make me straight somehow, but he's like, bro, I'm just gonna love on you so well. Dude, I'm gonna love on you so well. I'm like, dude, you're gonna love on me so well that you're gonna make me more gay. And like, I don't think that's gonna work. <laughs> <laughs> and uh oh lord jesus i know but that <laughs> that really and other conversations of you know do you think you could open this box up and act on this thing without anyone knowing and you can get it out of your system you can get that gayness out right whatever you got to do in secrecy and then you can put it in that box lock it up and never talk about it and be happy and married to a woman and all those conversations, time in, time after time after time, brought me to such a low point that so much shame, so much anger, so much pain came from those. And I looked at my life. I didn't like it. I didn't like how I showed up, how I was caring for myself, that I wasn't even going after the thing that I wanted, that I was giving so much of my power away to a leader or to a pastor or to someone else. And there was so much bitterness and anger that was growing inside of me because I kept on ignoring me. I kept on ignoring that small voice inside of me, my heart, that I was placing my power, my destiny, all the things in someone else's hands and authority. <sighs> that I would put so much blame on others for how I was feeling. And yes, righteously so, I was feeling shame and pain and all the things. And I had no control over what was said to me or the cards dealt, that I was dealt with. But I did have complete control on how I responded and how I showed up and how I cared and identified those emotions and gave love to those emotions. And then I gave so much blame that I would rebuke the devil and the enemy so many times and nothing would change that I put all the blame and scapegoat on the enemy rather than looking at inner me and what inner me wanted, what inner me was crying out for attention and to be heard. That I had to look at myself in the mirror and look at the shame and seeing how I was shaming others and I would be like, I just, ugh, I wanna see how bad you are and, F, and, F, and your leadership and all the F-bombs and all the things and then look at myself and see how am I showing up? It takes two. It's not a one-way street. I showed up. I put myself in those situations. I went in those conversations knowing what was gonna be said, that I held on to this idea that I would change people, that I can change the, the thing, but all I could do was change me. All I can do was hold up the mirror and see how I was showing up giving attention to the things that were rising up to see how I wasn't contributing to um, my flourishing, but my suffering, that I played my part, not putting all the blame and shame on the enemy or pastor, but taking radical ownership of taking my power back, that the thing that I was looking for, that I so desperately wanted to hear externally and from people was that I could have that of which I wanted, that I could have the relationship, that I could have the man, that I can go after those things, that I was looking externally for permission for them to sign this permission slip in my life. 
when the whole time I was holding that pen, that I had that power in me, that I had the keys to my destiny, this gift of God that's inside of me, that same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is in me. And am I walking that out or am I giving my power away to someone else? Am I truly taking care of who God trusted and who brought in, who Frankie is and who God brought into existence for this time now? Am I taking care of that? Am I going after that? Am I embracing this thing called freedom or am I contributing to my suffering? And as I came to that place of self-acceptance and sitting with those things and realizing that I no longer wanted to be here, when it came to that place of acceptance, I got brunch one morning with one of my close friends. You know, we got some brunch, some mimosas and things. <laughs> and we're walking in Monrovia on Myrtle. And she talks about this worship pastor who came out um, near where we grew up, this big mega church in her hometown. And I was like, what? And so as one does, as one millennial does, I get out my phone. And she, I was like, what's this guy's name? So I open Instagram so I can do my investigating, AK stalking. And so I was like, Paul Stevens? Is that a PH or a V? And so I put Paul Stevens in my phone. And I click Paul's Instagram profile. And I see these photos of him and his boyfriend, Marks. Shout out to Paul and Marks. Um, <laughs> And I saw them together, and I saw them together at this place called New Abbey, this church called New Abbey. And I remember that was the first time that I saw the thing that I wanted could be true, that I believed it. That I knew that this is the thing that I wanted eventually. And that there was a church out there telling this big story of God and all these things that I wanted to step into. And so I grew that courage, and I left that church, and it was hard. But I knew that it's what I needed to do, and I remember the first time ever stepping foot in New Abbey. <laughs> it's saying, I'm going to make this place home. I'm going to do the best that I can to love this thing well. <laughs> and I'm going to honor the thing that I fought for and that I got here. that I was greeted with so much celebration and joy and being prayed for and hugged for and invited to drinks. And the first time that I actually had gay friends and they were Christian, I was like, what is this life? And I was like, they all drink beer here and have vents and bread? What the, what is this? <laughs> and the things with the unity prayer and all the things and I was just met with so much love. It was so celebrated and I experienced so much healing in that. And I was discovering what this new freedom and liberation meant to me. That I finally got to express my sexuality. I got to even talk about it. And there's other people talking about that as well and figuring things out and Jesus and all of this beautiful, beautiful community 
gave me the courage to celebrate myself, gave me the permission to celebrate myself. And as I sat with the good, it gave me the permission and the courage and the safety and the trust to look in the mirror and to look at the things that I kind of sh pushed in the shadows and the figuring it out and the sexual liberation that I had to get real with my sexual choices, that I had to look at the pendulum, which was coming from you can't have any of it to swinging all the way over here, child, and saying, I want all of it. That I downloaded the grinder and the scruff and all the things, child. <laughs> and in that, you know, it became <laughs> overwhelming. And I grew so much shame in that. And after time after time, I remember asking myself, Frankie, like, how many men is it going to take to realize this isn't the thing that you want? And I would sit after that, after meeting up with someone whose name I didn't know in the middle of Lord knows where and at what time. And I, didn't, I put myself in really harmful situations. And I had to be real with that. And I had to be like, this isn't freedom. This isn't the thing that I fought for, to not know when someone's name and to the, be in the middle of the night of who knows where. This isn't the thing that I want. That I was contributing to my own suffering. And I remember how to be really real with that. And my actions were becoming so compulsive and were robbing me from my joy and to fully letting in all the love that was around me. That it was preventing me from really allowing those things in. And so I had to sit with that. And I had to sit with my behaviors and I had to sit with knowing that I, this was beyond me and I needed help. That had to be, could it be okay if sex addiction was a thing? And even, even if it wasn't, could you allow that okayness or whatever the word is to give you the courage to reach out? And so I did. And then I reached out to that person. And then from there, grew a little bit more courage and brought me to this place of like, I need to bring professional help into this. And I remember sitting in my car, reaching out, to a therapist, not any therapist, but one who specialized in addiction and sexual addiction and all the things. And I had to be like, could that be okay? Could that be okay? Because you don't want to stay here. So I reached out. And I remember a couple days after that, I'm in the therapist's office. After that journey and after a few times meeting, I remember him looking at me and saying, Frankie, if we want to talk about addiction, let's talk about that word addiction. And looking at addiction meaning the things that are spoken, and the beginning of this word meaning not, so the things not spoken. So what things have you, haven't you talked about or you put in the shadows? What are those things? And can we give love to those things? Can we unpack that? And at the same time, can we listen to that voice inside of you? Can we listen to your heart and the unpacking and the figuring it out? And can you have grace for yourself and curiosity? And so as I unpacked those things and took ownership for my actions and forgave myself, forgave myself for putting myself in those situations of harm, forgave myself even all the way back to seeking the permission from the previous church or the pastor that I had to sit with, Frankie, I'm so sorry that I put you in those situations. I'm so sorry that you had to experience those things in the pastor's office and the things spoken to you. I'm so sorry that I put you in those situations. I'm so sorry, heart, that I didn't listen to you then and I didn't listen to you now. 
that I was hurt. And also coming to this place of, I was doing the best that I could with what I was given. And first giving that self, that forgiveness to myself freed me and allowed me to give forgiveness to where I came from and to the former pastors and to all the peeps and people that have hurt me or where I've hurt myself and putting the mirror up, seeing that God trusted me with this thing called life, that God trusted us with this thing called life, that God trusted us with this breath in our lungs, that God trusted us with us, that God loved us first. So who is that person that God fell in love with? And how can I own that and celebrate that? And not only own that and celebrate that, but to take care of that. To know that that maturity, stepping into that, makes me the container to hold the things that I want so deeply because I have now grown that trust in myself to respond to when things rise up. I know to care and tend to and love on and also that I know who to call. And I know that it's beyond myself and that we need God. And the thing that I was looking for was intimacy, to be seen, to be known, that I so deeply wanted that, that before I was looking for it externally with people, but where I got to in the exploring and the sexual choices and all that was not giving myself the permission within to truly believe that I was worthy of those things. So I'm so grateful for this community and what we stand for and what we live out about celebration and healing and transformation and maturity. And I think that just allows so much goodness in. And I love that David talks about the goodness of God and then the goodness of him. And then, you know, even brings up things about, hey, should I hate those that hate you? And that's a very real question. But allowing ourselves to have those questions and then also surrendering that, that it's beyond our own understanding sometimes. That we can play our part with maturity, but surrender comes in. And God gets to play God's part, not only in that, in other areas as well. So maturity is our job. It's our gift. It's our invitation. Will we take care of who God brought into existence? Will we take care of who God brought here? Will we take care of our hearts and care for ourselves, be that parent for ourselves, and welcome God in all of it? just so proud of him. I mean, come on. I love the beauty of this psalm because the beauty of the psalm is the power of Psalm 139, which is the truth that you weren't created in secrecy, so you don't, you don't have to live in secrecy. And if you weren't created in secrecy, and if you don't have to live in secrecy, imagine what kind of freedom that you could have in your life, that you could be free enough to make mature choices to live the healthiest and best version of you. That the journey is not one of perfection, it's one that God knows all of the intricacies and the details of who you are, and that to be human is the hardest job that you're ever going to have. And to be human is this moving target of figuring it out. And what if this God so knows you and sees you and loves you that you can be free in yourself in the exploration of who you are and what it means to be human, that even in the parts that you're figuring out that you don't have answers, that even there in 
and maybe what you would call darkness, that the psalm is reminding us that that's light to God, that God sees all of the corners and the places within us and that God accepts it. And if that God accepts it, and then if God sees it, and then if God knows it, how could that bring freedom to us? And then how could we choose to live freely in a different way in this world? And so there's a beautiful cycle. There's a cycle in the reality of hopefully we come to some place of recognizing that God has always been for us, that God has always been with us, that God loves us. And then we have some growing up to do and some maturing to do. And we have some things to figure out. Maybe what we once thought was freedom is not actually freedom and the pendulum needs to come back a little bit so that we can live truly into the humanity that we desire for ourselves and live truly into the humanity that we desire for other people. That we don't live in just some independence where our choices are just our choices, but we live in a healthy ecosystem of interdependence where our choices are affected by others, and we affect others. And it's tying all those things together that God sees and knows everyone else as well, and that God cares about their freedom, and that's difficult work to live into. And then as we grow in that maturity, then we eventually come back to the same realization again in even a deeper way, that God is there for us, that God is with us. And there we can surrender to God, I think, in fresh ways, in new ways, not in places of fear or anxiety or worry, but in places of freedom, that here I can finally find rest, that this God knit me together in my mother's womb, that this God has always known every facet and detail of who I am, that this God cares and gives freedom to every component of my life, that this God wants me to be healed, wants me to be celebrated, wants me to transform, and wants me to be matured and to grow up, and that this God is a place where when I'm worn out, I can hold on to, that this God has always seen me and known me, and now I can see and know who this God is as well. And so as we end New Abbey, I want to do something with you. Wherever you are, wherever you find yourself, I would ask that you would close your eyes. Don't worry, we're not doing an altar call. Breathe and relax. Uh, But I want a moment of sitting with God and sitting with one another. That as you close your eyes, would you put your hand over your own belly? And would you breathe in? And would you breathe out? And maybe this gets to be a moment where you're reminded of the deep truth that God created you. As you breathe in, as you breathe out, as you feel the complexity and the intricacies and the nuances of your own body, that there is a God who has always known you, who knitted you together in your mother's womb, that there is a God who speaks over you, that there is no darkness within you, that this God shines light on every corner of your life and that this God accepts you. Would you breathe in? Would you breathe out? And maybe today gets to be a little reminder, a continuation of this story of good news, that God has always been here for you, that God is cheering you on every step of the way. And that as you learn the truth about yourself, that you are known, that you are seen, that you are loved, that today may you live in a little bit more freedom. And as you breathe in, and as you breathe out, would you offer that freedom to others in your path of maturity? And as you breathe in, and as you breathe out, would you know that you are not alone, that you can surrender to God, that you can let God hold you, 
that this God has known you from the very beginning, and this God will see you and know you all the way through. In Jesus' name. We're gonna send you back out into breakout groups and we're gonna ask these questions with one another. Where can you choose maturity and where can you surrender to God? Enjoy. Thanks for listening to the New Abbey podcast. For more information, visit us on the web at www.newabbey.org.